Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. This is this scripture is talking about Jacob. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray you'd speak to the church, oh God, let us hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Stan. You may be seated. This scripture, as I said, is talking about Jacob. Jacob. And he was returning from his uncle uh, Laban's place in Haran back to the land of his fathers after 20 years away. He'd been away for 20 years. And he was bringing with him his two wives, Rachel and Leah, and his 11 sons. And you're thinking, well, Jacob had 12 sons, but the 12th one, the youngest one, was not yet born. So he, as he came close to his father's homeland, he heard that his brother Esau was coming to meet him. Jacob and Esau were twins. And before he left for Haran 20 years earlier, Jacob had tricked or tempted Esau into selling him his birthright. And he also tricked his father into giving him the blessing as the head of the family rather than his brother Esau. And Esau was understandably a bit upset about this. Well, actually, he, he threatened to kill him. And so Jacob's mother sent him away to his uncle's place to find a wife and to protect him from his furious brother. And now he'd been in this place, his uncle's place, for 20 years and he'd married two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And he had 11 sons and now he's on his way back home. And he hears that his brother that he tricked out of the birthright and, and the blessing is coming to meet him with 400 men. And if it was me, I'm thinking, this guy wanted to kill me 20 years ago and now he's coming with 400 men. I don't think it's a welcome home party somehow. So Jacob thought, well, all I can do is protect my wives and children. So he sent his wives and his children and all that he had over the brook to protect them and he was there on his own. And when he was there on his own, he wrestled with a man, which is actually, if you read in the scripture, that the man that he wrestled with was a capital M because it was the angel of the Lord that he was wrestling with. And he wrestled with this angel of the Lord all night until the break of the day. And during the course of this wrestle, the angel touched Jacob's hip and put it out of joint. That sounds quite painful to me. And yet he continued to wrestle even with his hip out of joint. And from this, from this episode of wrestling with the angel, God changed his name. He's going to, no longer going to be called Jacob. 
Well, Jacob, when he, when um, Esau, uh, sorry, Jacob was born, as I said, he was one of twins, Jacob and Esau, and Esau come out first, and Jacob come out holding onto his heel, and so he was called Jacob, which means to follow after, or to be behind. But the name Jacob, in the end, came to mean supplanter, or one who takes the place of another, because that's exactly what Jacob did, but a bit more on that in a minute. But God changed his name to Israel, Israel, one who struggles with God, one who struggles with God. And in verse 28, it says his name was changed because he'd struggled with God and men and had prevailed, but his name wasn't changed to one who's prevailed with God. His name was changed to one who struggles with God. It's interesting to me that his new name was about the struggle, not about the prevailing. And I think that's because there's, there's something sacred in a way when we struggle to serve God. If we're trying to please him, trying to overcome the challenges and the obstacles in the path, I think God recognises that, as he did with Jacob. Anyway, this encounter, this struggle changed Jacob forever. In verse 30 of chapter 32, it says, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, or the face of God. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. And in the 9.15 service today, our pastor preached a wonderful message about when the wind is contrary, talking about the time when Jesus sent the disciples over to the other side of the sea in a boat and they, they, the wind was contrary and they rowed into, against the wind and they were getting nowhere and, and he, uh, um, Jesus came walking on the water. So if you should listen to that sermon. It'll be up on our YouTube or our Facebook. When the wind is contrary, remember the miracle of the loaves. And this is kind of part two of that message. And this is called walking with a limp. Walking with a limp. Well, Jacob and Esau, who we're talking about, they were the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and they were the grandsons of the patriarch Abraham, the father of the faithful. This is their grandsons and and our God is often called the, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the, the, the person we're talking about, Jacob and his twin brother Esau. And verse 25, uh, sorry, chapter 25 of Genesis, verse 21, his f- mother had been barren, his mother Rebecca, and his father Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and his, the Lord granted his plea and she conceived but the children struggled with, together within her. And she said, if everything's okay, why am I like this? So she inquired of the Lord, why did such the children struggling within her? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. That was a prophecy about these two brothers that even in the womb, they were struggling against each other. They were in conflict even in the womb. And it seems to me that Jacob was trying to get ahead of Esau 
the entire, his entire life. Even from the time of conception, he was struggling against, I don't know, maybe he was trying to be born first. I don't know, but it seemed like that because when he, as I said, when he was born, Esau came out first and Jacob was holding onto his heel as though he was trying to, trying to pull him back, you know, trying to pull him back. And I've seen people like that, like Jacob, trying to get ahead by pulling other people back. Trying to build themselves up by putting other people down. I'm reminded of my, my nephew. My nephew uh, played professional baseball. At 16 years old, he was signed to go and play in the United States as a professional. And he, in, a, in, a, in the American baseball system, there's major league and minor leagues, and they all have feeder clubs, and it goes like A, a ball is the lowest level. That's professional, but A, then A+, plus, double A, double A+, plus, triple A, major league. And so they start you off in A ball at 16 years old. And he said, everybody's trying to get ahead and promote themselves because you need to be noticed and you need to be seen so you can graduate from A to A+, plus, and then from A+, plus to double A, and from double A to triple A. He said, and you're always kind of struggling against your teammates. You don't want your teammates to do well because you're not shining in comparison to them anymore if they're doing well. So he said he didn't like that experience at all when you're just fighting for yourself and not for your team. And it didn't go well. Never really got. Up. He was there for about five years, six years, and never really got any higher than than able an A-level, and he ended up getting cut and he came back to Australia and he played in the Australian Baseball League and he got, and he got re-signed by a different major league club because he has a very good season here. He said, this time, he said, I thought my chance was over. This time, I thought I was never, never had another opportunity. I've, I, I had one chance and I didn't make it and that was it. And now I've been a second chance. So this time he said, this time I decided I'm going to enjoy myself. And he did. He said, I wanted to be the best teammate I could. I wanted to, to enjoy the success of my teammates and I wanted to do what I could to help them succeed and focus on that. And he made it all the way to triple A ball with that attitude. Because he was trying no longer to push himself up because you do not get ahead by pulling other people back. That's not what we do. In fact, that's what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 12. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour, giving preference to one another. That means preferring one another. I think it says in King James, this is New King James, preferring one another in honour. In other words, wanting or desiring each other to, to prosper and succeed and to, and to be promoted even more than you want yourself. And that's not our natural thing to do, which is why we need the Spirit of God to help us to do that. Because we should be seeking to lift other people around us up, not pull them down. That should be our aim, I think. And it's easy for us to be irritated and annoyed and, 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 and um, selfish because that's the natural state of man. But if we can look to, the, to prefer one another with honour, we're going to enjoy the journey a whole lot more, I think, if we do that.
Anyway, as I said, Esau was the firstborn, and because he was the firstborn, he uh, was entitled to inherit twice as much as his brother. Um, this was known as the birthright. Excuse me. I also got a bit sick while I was away. So he was entitled to twice as much inheritance as his brother Jacob, and he's also going to be the head of the family, the head of the family, and that's the birthright. And so Jacob set about working out a way to get the birthright for himself. And Esau was out hunting in the fields because he was an outdoors kind of guy, and he came in very tired. And Jacob had cooked a, a stew of red lentils. And the weary Esau said, oh, give me some of that stew. See, it smells so good. And Jacob said to him, I'll give you some of this stew if you give me the birthright. And you think, why would anyone fall for that? And yet we see it every day, don't we? We see people who are so, so ruled by what they want at that moment that they will have no thought of the consequences or, the, or next week or next year or the year after. It's just what I want at this time, and that's exactly what Esau was. He was a man ruled by his lust. He even said, I'm about to die, so what good is the birthright to me? Like you're tired, man, have a sleep. You're not going to die. But he was ruled by his, by his lust and by his feelings and by his emotions, and he was so driven by, by what he wanted at that moment in time. He had no consideration for the long-term consequences of his decision. He was hungry, he was tired, and the most important thing was having the food that was in front of him. Nothing else mattered as much as that. And from this incident, Esau became known as Edom, because Edom means red for the red lentil stew that he sold his birthright for. And his, um, he became named, if you like, for what it is that controlled him, what it is that actually set his, his future in train, what the, the thing that he, that, he gave, that he gave all for was the red lintel, and he became known by his weakness. And his descendants, you might read about them in the rest of the scripture, the Edomites, the Edomites, they're the descendants of Esau. And if you, who's read the whole Bible? Oh man, surely more, come on. Have you read the Ob book of Obadiah? If you read the whole Bible, you've read the book of Obadiah. What's, what's the book of Obadiah about, does anyone know? This is, you didn't know I was going to do Bible, Bible quiz, did you? The book of Obadiah is the proclamation of God's judgment on the Edomites the descendants of Esau. So that's what happened when he gave up his birthright and the future to satisfy the lusts of his flesh at that moment. In the end, his descendants became the enemies of Israel and God pronounced judgment upon them. That's a little bit for free. Anyway, as Isaac, the father, got older, he lost his eyesight, he began to feel death was near and he called his eldest son Esau because Esau was his favourite. Jacob was his mother's favourite. He called his eldest son Esau, told him to go hunting for some game, prepare a meal for Isaac, then, then I'll give you my blessing, Isaac said. Bless you to be the head of the family. Well, Rebecca, his wife, whose son Jacob was her favourite, heard this and she conspired with Jacob that he would get the blessing instead of his brother Esau. 
And once again, Jacob's struggling to get ahead, to be first, to take something that something, someone else had and give it, get it for himself. Well, as I said, Isaac's eyesight had failed, so Rebekah put Esau's clothes on to, onto um, Jacob. And they also put goat skin on his arms. So that way, he, he, his brother was a hairy man, it says. So he, he felt like his brother. The goat skin felt like his brother. And with his clothes on, he, he smelt like his brother. That's a very powerful... Smell's a very powerful thing. If you've lost someone, you, you'll know that it's very comforting to go and smell their clothes. Because that, you can, they, it they brings, evokes so much. The smell. And well, that was what it was. It was Esau's clothes on Jacob and his father could smell him and feel him. He said, the voice is not Esau's, but it smells like him and feels like him. And he gave the blessing to Jacob. Jacob used deception to get ahead of others, to get what they had, to get them for himself. To take the, he tried to get ahead by taking what belonged to someone else, is what he did. And as Christians, we want to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In, this is in uh, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is what the Spirit of God will produce in us. It's not something that we try. We can't produce it in ourselves. It's only the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. But it also goes on to talk about the works of the flesh. Now, I hope that I don't have to advise you to avoid the works of the flesh. I hope you're already avoiding the works of the flesh, but I'll put them, I'll put them up there for you. The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, which I've highlighted, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, which I've highlighted. Murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty fair warning. If you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And envy and jealousy are two of those things. Envy and jealousy. And envy and jealousy are not the same thing. Jealousy is often... Um, talked about in relationships, in, in regard to relationships, having jealousy in relationship. And jealousy says, I want to have it instead of you. If you are in relationship with somebody else, I want to have them, not you. That's what jealousy is. And, but that's a work of the flesh, according to this scripture. Envy says, if I don't have it, you shouldn't have it either. What makes you so special that you have that what I don't? So therefore, you don't deserve it. Therefore, you shouldn't have it. I remember um, before I worked in the church, I was working in the, in the car industry and I had, they give me a new Camry as a car to drive. It was really nice. It was called, I can't remember the colour. It was kind of what it was called, I mean. I remember the colour. It was got a, this pearlescent green, which doesn't sound nice, but it was clear mist, I think they called it. Metallic light green. It was really striking. And I parked it at Tuggerong Hyperdome and when I come back, someone had got a key and gone all over it. Why? Envy. This is a nice looking car and I don't have it, so you shouldn't have it either. 
I'll just take that away. That's exactly what, what Jacob was like. If you have it, I want it. If I don't have it, you can't have it either. That's envy and jealousy. That's the, that's the work of the flesh. Anyway, deception worked and Jacob got the blessing from his father and as I said, Esau was furious at this. And he said in his heart, he said, as soon as Isaac dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. I guess that's one way of getting the birthright back since he was to be the last remaining son. But that's what he said in his heart, I'm going to. So to protect him, his mother, Rebecca, convinced Isaac to send him away to his uncle Laban in Haran to find a wife there. And that's what happened. And as I said, Jacob stayed there 20 years until his return that we talked about earlier. But on his way, this was a dramatic time in, in Jacob's life. It was really, his life was under threat. He'd got all the things he wanted and he was just now in danger. So as he went on his journey in chapter 28 of, of Genesis, it says he went from Beersheba towards Haran and he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set and it got dark. And he took one of the stones of that place and put his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached heaven and there was angels of God ascending and descending. That's a famous story of Jacob's ladder. The angels ascending and descending at this ladder to heaven and he named that place Bethel or the house of God because of this vision that he had of these angels and this ladder. And from that time, he vowed to serve God. And it seems apparent that maybe he wasn't serving God from before then. And by his actions, we can probably assume that to be true. But God then appeared to him and he gave him the same blessing and the same covenant that he'd given his grandfather Abraham. And it's interesting that God gave the blessing to Abraham and then to Jacob and not to Isaac. But, he, but this experience changed Jacob. It, it was a, a new time for him. It was a personal encounter with God that he had. And his reaction was he built an altar of worship and he worshipped God and he, and he vowed to serve him from that time on. That was the, a turning point in Jacob's life was this encounter that he had with God in this place called Bethel as he slept on a rock. But anyway, he continued on his journey and he went on his way until they came to the house of his uncle and there he met Laban's two daughters because the whole, the whole reason for going there, apart from preserving his life, was to find a wife. And Laban had two daughters. Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. Genesis 29. The name of the elder, uh, sorry, the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. I think in the King James it says she was tender-eyed. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. That's like, that's, that's faint praise for Leah, isn't it? Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful. What does that tell you about Leah? No mention of how she looked. But then again, in Proverbs 31, women, there's no mention of how she looks either. And Rachel was beautiful. She was strikingly beautiful because it's, that's what's mentioned about her. She was beautiful of form and appearance, but, but Leah had poor eyesight, which is, I think, is actually, after seeing some guys around, I think having poor eyesight is a blessing to a wife in many 
I won't go there. Okay, anyway. We can tell that from this scripture that Rachel was the, most, was the better looking of the two girls. And I was thinking, you know, Jacob had an experience with God. He, he received a blessing and covenant from God and he vowed to serve him from that time forth and walk with him always. And then he went from there to his uncle's house and he met these two sisters and he decided that he wanted to marry the good-looking one. And so he came to a, an arrangement with his uncle and he said, I'll work seven years to marry Rachel. And they agreed to that proposal and then they had the wedding day but when they lifted the bridal veil, he found that instead of being married to Rachel, he was now married to Leah. Because her, her father said, Leah's the oldest. It's, can't, it's shameful for her, for the younger to be married when the elder isn't. Well, what should, what should Jacob have done? That's a good question. He had this encounter with God, yeah, like an amazing encounter. And he'd, he'd just vowed to serve him and God had promised to be with him and gave him the blessing and the covenant and then he walks down to his uncle's place and he has a, going to take a wedding ceremony and he finds his way to the sister who's not the good looking one. And Jacob said, no, she's the one I want, not her. Not, I don't want Leah, I want Rachel. So then she decides to, he does another arra arrangement with his uncle and he agrees to work another seven years to then marry Rachel as well. And so I was thinking, you know, before his, well, I look upon it as a conversion. Before his conversion, Jacob used deception and envy and jealousy to tr pull others down to try and get ahead and he was trying to pull other people back to get ahead and he was always trying to take what other people had and he was always trying to get ahead and now he's had a conversion experience and now he's walking with God and now he doesn't do that he doesn't use deception and he doesn't use use pulling others down to get there but he still wants to get what he wants through his own effort and so he refused to recognize Leah as as the wife that God chose for him and he decided to instead to struggle to get what he wanted, which was Rachel. Jacob wasn't no longer trying to take what others had, but he was still struggling to get what he thought he deserved, the good-looking wife. And let's look at G what Jesus' um, attitude to this kind of thing. Because in the garden when he prayed, the garden of Gethsemane when he was facing his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, didn't he? If it be possible, he said, take this cup from me. In Matthew 26, he went a little farther and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but thine be done. That should be our prayer at all times. Not my will, but thine be done. And... I mean, I don't mind if it's God's will for me to get a nice house down the coast or something. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. 
And that's not an easy thing to pray sometimes because we all know what we want. But God knows what is better for us. And that's how it was with Rachel and Leah. We, he, he knew that he wanted Rachel, but God knew that Leah was better for him. And if you go on to the story, you'll find, in fact, that's what happened. Ra- Rachel brought all sorts of problems and issues and brought idols into their house and did all sorts of all stuff like that. And, and it was just, she was, caused lots of issues for Jacob. And then on their journey, after this encounter with with Esau after um, when she gave birth to Benjamin Rachel died and his kind of dream had died on the journey if you like and he, he buried her Jacob buried Rachel on, and marked her grave and continued on but when, but when Leah died he buried her with his father and his mother and his grandfather and his grandmother in the family tomb because and when he, when he later died in, in Egypt he said Take me and bury me with Leah. He recognised ultimately that it was God's choice for him to be married to Leah, but it's no, it's what he wanted. So he's no longer trying to take what others thought he deserved, but he was still trying to, what others had, but he was still struggling to get what he thought he deserved. So that's, that's beside the point. He married, ended up both married to both of them. He had 11 sons, and now he's coming back to his, to his um, father's land to Israel, really, what it is now. And here's his brother Esau coming with 400 men. And now he's in a different position than he's ever been in before. Now he's no longer able to use his own ability, his own strength, his own deception, his own cleverness to get what he wanted. Now he's got him against his brother and 400 men. Now he's in a position where nothing he could do would change anything. He couldn't struggle anymore with men. All he could do was struggle with God. And that's what he did. He wrestled with God all night. And his wrestling with God changed him forever. And you think about his encounter with this angel. It was a, it was a great struggle. It went on the whole night and it was painful. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have your hip dislocated while you're wrestling with somebody and then to continue to wrestle. But in the 915 service, Pastor Jonathan talked about the men on the, the disciples on the boat and the wind was contrary and they were toiling all the night, but they've got to remember they were in God's will. Jesus sent them on that boat in that storm. And just the fact they're in the storm doesn't mean they were out of God's will. They were in God's will. And it was a struggle, but that was the will of God for them. And we look at Rachel, oh Rachel, Jacob, the pain and the injury and the trauma came from God. The, the hurt, the scarring, the limp came from God. And we may need to realise that sometimes things that hurt us are God's will for us. And if they're not God's will, at very least he uses them to change us forever. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob. Jacob went through trauma and pain and he bore the scars forever. The trauma and the pain never left him and he had a reminder of that pain every day of his life as he limped on his thigh. But the pain and the trauma and the injury that he suffered didn't disqualify him from the kingdom of God. 
even though he walked with a limp, even though he bore the scars of his troubles and he scars of his mistakes, Jacob became one of the most prominent men in the kingdom of God. Well, even Israel was named after him. His sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel was named after him. And his son Judah's descendants led to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the story of Jacob walking with a limp for the rest of his life, never healed from that limp, but had to carry that, that trauma and pain forever as a reminder of his struggle with God to no longer struggle with men, but to struggle with God and have his name changed to, to struggles with God. That reminds me of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also had a, a limp, if you like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. A messenger of Satan. So there's a lot of speculation about what this thorn in the flesh could be. And it doesn't tell us, but we do know this. It hurt him. It was painful. It was a thorn in the flesh, and he called it the messenger of Satan. So in other words, this, this whatever it is, this thorn in the flesh that he had was saying to him, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Because that's what Satan tells you. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. He's not an encourager or an uplifter like God. He's a, this thorn in the flesh that Paul had was saying to him every day, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. So concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, the great apostle, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, was buffeted by the thorn in the flesh. He had a limp, if you like, every day of his life. It was, it was painful. It hurt him. And he asked God three times to take it away from him. But it was a limp that he had to walk with the rest of his life. But just like the limp reminded Jacob of his struggle with God, this thorn in the flesh reminded Paul every day that God's grace is sufficient for him. That, Paul, you're weak, but our God is strong. The pain and the struggle you face is what God is using to make you strong in the Lord, strong in faith, strong in, in a spiritual growth. And some of us are walking with a limp as well, painful things that have left a mark on us. Sometimes it's been a struggle to keep on walking. And sometimes those traumas from the past have affected the way we walk. But the important thing is it doesn't keep us from walking. It doesn't stop us. We may have a limp, but we're still move, pressing forward. We're still going ahead. God saw Jacob's struggle. In the, in the sermon this morning, when the, when the disciples were struggling against the wind, the scripture says that Jesus saw them struggling against the contrary wind. God saw Jacob's struggle. 
and changed his name to reflect it, the struggle that he endured. So Jacob may have had a, a limp, but he walked with God all the rest of his life. One of our, well, the, the, um, the ladies are doing a, a book club, a book by Tommy Tenney. Well, the, his father, T.F. Tenney, Tom Fred Tenney, is well-known preacher in our organisation. And um, he's full of one-liners, you know. And I've got one of his, the next slide. You don't always race to victory, he said. Jacob limped his way to a new name. We don't always have to race, but with a limp we can still keep on walking. Let's stand this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord God, that we know you. And we know, Lord, the, 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 our end is sure. The outcome is certain. Lord, that we will prevail and we will overcome, oh God, because you walk with us. But we know, Lord God, we may have to have a limp on the, on the way. We just ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us, oh God, to continue to move forward in you. Help us, oh God, to, to look to you for help and strength and grace, to know that we alone are unable. We don't have the strength, the ability, the power, the cleverness, the knowledge, the wisdom, oh God. Only you, only you, God, is where these things are found. So we throw ourselves at your feet. Thankful that you love us, that you care for us, and that we are your children, that you will walk with us, whether we are limping, oh God, whether we are crawling, but you will be with us. We know, oh God, your hand is upon us. We're so thankful to know that, Jesus.